The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Awesome God, you have acted decisively for the healing of the nations. We bless your name for that. A healing that touches something far more important, although it is important, the healing of our bodies. It touches something far more than that. It heals our souls. Plagued by that rebellion against you, you have acted to heal. To restore us. Fix us. Make us what we were made to be. Creatures under you. Creatures in union with you. People made in your image and enjoying you perfectly forever. You made us for that and you have acted in Christ as we sang about in Christ to heal us and we bless your name for that. You've made a decisive turn in that to send Him and to begin the healing. And then you, every day you walk with us to, to renew us and transform us. And we trust that You will do that work here again today. That's what we ask for. That You would show Yourself strong to heal today. Lord, we have before us a small passage of Scripture to touch on a, a large and important idea. And I pray You would make it clear for the healing of Your people. I pray that You would compel us to, to listen and You would compel us to respond as You wish. You would humble where appropriate. You would encourage where needed. Breathe life into us, Your people, into Your church. Spirit of God, as we talk about You today, will You do the work needed to help us understand You and then also do the work You are always keen on doing? Point us back to Jesus. We would not miss Him. I know you do not want us to focus on you inordinately, but you want us to see you that we might see him. So accomplish that work in each person here. And Father, for those here who do not know you, I don't know who that is, but you do. Would you awaken? Would you stir? Would you call? Woo? And a point that this day would be a day of awakening for them. Even today, the day of salvation. We are humanly powerless to make this so. So I ask you to make it so. Heal, please. Would you create in us as a church a softening it is a tenderness and a humility and an openness before You that says, You, Lord, are our life. Come, control me. Have Your way in me. I submit to You happily in hope. Make that attitude reign in us as a people and individually, I ask. Lord, make my words clear. Make my words clear that this word from You would be clear and that we would be helped by it. So grow your church, I ask. That Christ would be glorified and that your people would be in, in, in this place of, of deep wholeness that you want us to live in. Bring that about, I pray. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been moving through the book of 1 Corinthians, We've come to the section of the book where, where Paul is instructing the church about spiritual gifts. In, embedded in the, in the larger section where he's talking about the life of worship in the church. Like a whole bunch of people just came in. I'll pause for a minute. Everybody find a seat. 
We're talking in the section of of Corinthians where Paul's talking about life, broadly speaking, life of worship in the body. He's talking to us and encouraging us and and God through Him is, is clarifying and calling us to see us as an us. As a people. Not divided. Not judging one another, but joined together. One, even while we also recognize that we are, are, are vastly different. Dif- different in our, our standing and in our status and different in our giftings. He wants us to recognize that and to celebrate it and to care as, as a group, care for one another, to love one another. That was last week in the second half of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in that section, a particular verse deserves a little more attention. Touched on it last week, said I'd come back to it this week. So we're going to give attention to that verse and and the subject that it connects us to. Verse 13 of chapter 12. This verse has provided, over the years, has provided opportunity for a lot of confusion and unfortunately, ironically, has provided opportunity feeding the very thing this chapter is most concerned to end. Division in the body. It's quite ironic that a verse in the middle of this chapter would create what this chapter is against. But it has. Verse 13, when when people read of the baptism of the Spirit, what has developed in some corners of of the church, Christianity, the believers, what has developed is is an idea and then a teaching that creates a two-tiered Christianity. A two-level Christianity. Those who have something and those who have not. Remember where I brought that up last week in relation to the various gifts. Some who have kind of extraordinary supernatural gifts and some who have more ordinary gifts. Slightly different this week. Those who have this baptism of the Spirit and those who do not. This is the idea that gets conveyed when people, some people read this verse. And so two classes develop. I'm going to call this second blessing theology. It says you're a Christian, and then if you receive this second blessing, you rise up to the second tier. And if you haven't risen up to this tier, yes, you're still a Christian. Yes, you're still saved in somewhat of a, mer- a remedial sense. You have the Spirit light, L-I-T-E. If you would only come up to be with us, and we'll know you've come up to be with us, it is commonly taught, when you speak in tongues. The sign that you've received the second blessing, this baptism of the Spirit. That, that teaching is in some corners of the church. It's commonly taught in conjunction with tongues. It's out there. In recent years, it's actually influenced the student body at ICS, and so it's had to been dealt with there. Maybe it's come in contact with some of your lives or some of the circles that you've run in. It's a problem. So I'm going to speak about it from this verse, but I'm not going to preach a sermon on an errant theology. I'm going to preach on a verse in the Bible and, and other verses that are related to it, but I'm telling you why I'm focusing on this verse. I'm, I'm not going to focus on this subject. I'm going to focus on this verse, but this is partially why. But there's another reason I'm stopping on this verse, because... While this second blessing theology is something that needs to be avoided, I must also hasten to add that while the answers and the explanations and the theology are wrong over here, there's something there that we should seek. And we do very much need, and a number of us miss. It's not that second blessing from the Spirit, but it is something from the Spirit, and we need it from Him. I'm going to talk about that today, too. And notice I said, from Him. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, so who is He? And I'm using that pronoun because He is a He. He is a personal being. The Spirit of God is not a force like gravity. He is the third person of the one triunity, the one triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He is a He. And as you look through the Bible, you realize He can be talked to. 
He speaks. He can be lied to. He can be grieved, saddened. That's a personal being, not not a power or a force. He is fully God. Just as much God as the Father and the Son. And like the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit has a distinct set of responsibilities in relation to us. You can see them in the Bible, a whole bunch of different passages. John 14, 15, and 16 are a pretty concentrated place where the Holy Spirit is is addressed. You might want to look there later if you're so inclined. But think through some of the things that the Holy Spirit does in relation to us. Think these through. You probably know many of them, and then I'm going to try to tie them together into one kind of important central concept. Think through what the, the New Testament says about God the Spirit. He counsels leading and informing us of God's will. That comes up a lot of places. John 14, 26 might be one you'd look at if you want to. He convicts of sin. John 16, 8. He regenerates. That is, He births unbelievers. He brings to life people who are not living so that they can respond to God. Titus 3. He sanctifies, setting apart and cleansing believers to create holy holiness in us. 1 Peter 1. He comforts us in trouble. He assures us of our salvation and security in Christ. He illumines the Scriptures so that we can read them. He gives power for ministry. Many things. But pull all those together. When you think about the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, what is the essence? If I boil it all down, what, what is the essence of what He does? I'll sum it up in a phrase. Presence of Christ. presence of Christ. John 16, 14 says that when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus is speaking there, He says, when He comes, He will glorify Me. He will take from what is Mine and reveal it to you. The essence of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. To take and reveal that Christ is glorified. And if you think about it, Everything else that we were just talking about is related to that in some way or another. How does he convict of sin? He convicts of sin by making the reality of Jesus front and center visible to us so that we see the majesty of Jesus, His his perfect holy righteousness and see our lack thereof and are inclined, drawn after Him to trust Him and follow Him. Convicted of sin and grown in holiness, Jesus is at the center of that work. God the Holy Spirit is about introducing into our lives the presence of Jesus. That's the Spirit's work. We need that. And gloriously, God has provided it to us all. We don't need a second blessing. But we do need something. So if I'm trying to talk out of both sides of my mouth there on purpose. We don't need but we do need. And those are the two observations that I'm going to make. So let me read the verse. and that Verse 13 is going to form the, the foundation for my first observation, what we don't need, and then I'm going to move on to talk about the other. So I'm going to read now. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And I'm going to read the verse right before just to kind of set up the context a little bit. So 12, 12. For just as the body is one... And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Verse 13. Here's my first point for this morning. What this verse directly teaches, God did a glorious thing. God did a glorious thing when He baptized you in the Holy Spirit. He did a glorious thing when He baptized you in the Holy Spirit. That comes right out of this verse. For in one Spirit we were all 
baptized in one body, then putting it another way, later in the verse, all made to drink of one spirit. Notice a couple things. It's a past event. Already happened. We're made to drink in the past. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to a church here. And though it's got a lot of problems, they're they're believers. So he's talking about something that has already happened to Christians. And if you're not a Christian this morning, this could be true of you. And my prayer, my hope is that you would see something in this. You would see something in this morning that says... I see there the goodness of God, and I want that. And he would call you to it, and you would believe. That's my hope this morning. But I have to say that before that happens in your life, this this isn't about you. It's about Christians. Something that has happened in the past to every single one of us. So Christian, this is your reality. All of us were baptized. All were made. And it has been done in the past, been done to us. It's past, and it's passive. So we are not talking about something that we have to do tomorrow. Done to us already in the past. Very clear here. This baptism is already happened to us. And of course it's a metaphor. Baptism is a metaphor. The word baptize, I mean, literally, it's about dunking something or immersing something, often in a liquid, so to stick something in, to plunge something into. And here it's depicted as if the thing stuck into is the Holy Spirit, kind of like the water, which fits perfectly with the second half of the verse, all made to drink of one spirit. That word to drink is used, you might remember back in chapter 3, when we talked about Paul saying some ministers plant the seed, some water it. That word water, that's our word here. To make to drink, to pour out on seed or, or cattle. So he's saying the same thing in two different ways. You, Christian, were overwhelmed with water, no, the Holy Spirit, such that you were drenched, that you were covered in it, in Him. When? In the past, when in the past? Well, for us, in one spirit, we were baptized into one body. At that moment, at that moment that you were baptized into the body, when you became a Christian, that's what had happened. For you. If you wind back, for the Corinthians, that's what had happened for them. When, when they became Christians... They're joined into this body. But how far back do we go? What's what's it pointing back towards? It is true. On one hand, say it is true that there's something, something similar to this all throughout the Old Testament. But not like this. There's something similar in that people who have come to faith in in Christ all throughout the centuries have always been joined into the one people of God. So there's something similar, but not. Because if you read through the Old Testament, you see, oh, we hope that one day the Spirit of God will come upon us. Moses, wandering in the wilderness. There's an event, you might recall, where the prophets are breaking out in the camp and somebody wants to quash that. He says, oh, I would long for the reality of all the people of God to have the Spirit of God. It's not the case. And then the the Old Testament prophets look forward to a day when, when one day God would pour out His Spirit on His people and would move them to follow His decrees in Ezekiel. There would be a day, said Joel, when the Spirit will be poured out and and the young boys and girls will both prophesy and young men will dream dreams and old men will see visions the other way around. Coming. This is not pointing back to the Old Testament because they would say, we're looking forward. What's he pointing to? What did John the Baptist say in all four of the Gospels? I'm baptizing in water. And I'm baptizing, I'm calling people to repentance. But I'm baptizing in water and calling people to repentance to prepare the way for one who is coming after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize in fire and in the Holy Spirit. 
tied to Jesus? When? When is it tied to Jesus? Well, you know this. You know this, but I'm trying to lay it out for you so that you see something. You, you should see that salvation time is like a clock. Tick, 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 tick. And you can see it moving towards completely vertical when the bell will go off. Tick, tick, tick. John the Baptist saying it's, it's 11.35, 11.40, 11.45. And there's one coming. He is even among us right here. Stop and think about this for a second. If, if you could stand in my place and, and look out, you'd see some people who are interested and some people who maybe are interested and some people who are not interested and can't figure out why I'm even talking about this. Or so it seems as I look at your faces. But the, the, the great irony is that what I am talking about is a millenniums, plural, millenniums long promise. Always looked for. And you know what's, what's tremendously ironic is that we very commonly, very appropriately, we focus in on the work of Messiah at the cross. That's not what I'm talking about today. We can never not talk about that. Because before any of this could happen, Messiah must come and cleanse His people of their sin. Because none of this can happen to people who are guilty before God. And so Messiah came to make a covenant in His blood, as we talked about. God sent His Son to go to the cross to bear our sin and take on Himself the wrath of God and wipe that away so that He can look at us as clean and pure. And that is not what I'm talking about. There is more if you can imagine it. More than that, if you can imagine it. Every Old Testament believer also lived in that reality with his or her sin reckoned to the cross of Christ. All of them, Moses, all of them, David, all of them, Solomon, etc., cleansed of their sin and looking for more. John the Baptist, Jesus says, those in the kingdom, little children in the kingdom are in a better place than John the Baptist because there's a little more. Jesus, crucified and risen, speaks to His disciples. Luke 24 talks about this. And He says, there's something coming. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise from on high. And Acts 1 picks up right where he left off. Verses 4 and 5 in Acts 1, talking about, he repeats the words of John the Baptist, wait here until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is not something additional tacked on to the end for Pentecostals to think about. And they got that name from Pentecost. It existed before they did, right? Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost is tremendous for us. What did He do? What did God the Father and God the Son do at Pentecost? He poured out on His cleansed people God the Holy Spirit. And no longer would you have to go up to the temple in Jerusalem to meet with Him. Amazingly. In living color, he lives in you. And He carries out the essence of His ministry for you. He introduces to you the presence of Jesus right here. Right here. Brothers and sisters, sing for joy over that. 
It is so incredibly significant that you have been baptized in this Spirit, flooded with Him, washed with Him, overwhelmed with Him. Oh, it's a marvelous thing. He reveals Himself to you right up close and personal. God dwells in you. Yes, forgiven. Yes, cleansed. So that communion with God can happen. And it has happened to you in a remarkable way that for millennium was looked forward to and is your daily privilege. You do not need a second blessing because that first blessing is marvelous enough. All of you, when you were saved, were baptized into that and live in it every day. Which we need to be clear about. For the sake of worship and for the sake of understanding how to think about ourselves and each other. Put it in another way. We have to be so clear about this because of our natural tendencies towards inferiority and superiority. What happens is that we forget the wonder of this and live with the problem I'm going to talk about in a moment. And begin to interact with each other in a one, I'll say one up, one down manner. Let me give you an example of this. I stand up here three minutes ago preaching about something that maybe as you stand there you sort of understand and sort of track with, or sort of attracted to, and you think, Wow. I'm not like that. I just fold the bulletins. I make sure the PowerPoint slides get up in order. He's spiritual. That's the inferiority feeling. He has more of something that I lack. I see myself as kind of, uh, clearly I'm a remedial Christian. Or conversely, maybe I stand here and say, clearly you're a remedial Christian. Because I, as, as I walk through life or as, as I minister in whatever settings I find myself, as I utilize my particular gifts, I see all you do is you fold the bulletin. I Speak of the the things of God to hundreds. I speak in the tongues of men and angels. I heal. I have miracles. This fits together with what we were talking about last week. That's the superiority feeling. And if you find in this some sort of illegitimate warrant for thinking there is a second tier in fact, then I begin to say, you are inferior, you must come to my level. And you begin to kind of fake stuff and, and get yourself kind of bent around a pole trying to figure out how to get more of God. You have Him. If you're a Christian, you have Him. So we need to be very clear about this fact. We all have Him. And in a verse 3 sense, everyone who proclaims Jesus is Lord is spiritual. Baptized in the Spirit. The hand of God on you, washing over you. And I have never dealt with, you Christian, have never dealt with a second class Christian. Less in some way. 
If we would think like this, it would deal a significant blow. Think about this. It will deal a significant blow to division in the church because the person that you are dividing from or standing against or speaking ill of or gossiping about is a person like this, flooded with the Spirit of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God, standing right there receiving out of your mouth slander. If you think about that, that might change something. You're not speaking to a person. You're speaking to a God-covered person. We have all been baptized, and He has done a glorious thing in doing that. You have what you need. But I wonder if you need more. And here I am coming out the other side of my mouth on purpose. Because all that I've just said there, while true, leads to something really important. A significant question. Maybe you could put it like this. I'm moving to the second point here. I'll give it to you in a second. Given that's all true, that God has done something remarkable, that I have been baptized into that, it has already happened to me, why don't I live experiencing that? Why doesn't that, if it's on me and in me, why doesn't it bubble out of me, flow out of my lips, However you ask it, the point is there's a gap there between what I was just talking about and what we all actually live. What's the deal? There's a gap, and I hope you want to close it because what has happened, what has been done is is marvelous, and what we live so often isn't. How do we close this gap? So here's the second point. God will do even greater things in and through us as He fills us with the Holy Spirit. As He fills us with the Holy Spirit. That word fills is what I'm going to be focusing on here. I've talked about it a number of times over the years as I've preached through the book of Acts and the book of Ephesians because that word comes up in those places. So perhaps it's familiar. I'm not going to say everything about this. If you want to listen more to it, go back to see the website and find the sermons that are relevant to you. But let me touch on a few things. Acts 2, Pentecost, baptism of the Spirit. What I was just talking about happens. It says they are all filled with the Spirit there. Remarkable things happen. 3,000 come to faith. It's tremendous. Peter preaches, brings in the beginning of the church. It's marvelous. Chapter 2. And then chapter 4. Peter under arrest, speaking before the Jewish rulers, Acts 4.8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and you should stop and ask, wait a minute. I thought Peter already was. But now he is again? It doesn't stop there. Later in the chapter, verse 31, Peter and John arrested, released, gather with the Spirit-baptized church to pray. Verse 31 says, The place where they gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. That's three times for Peter. And all those people were a part of all this, so that's two times for them. What's going on? And it continues. You can track it through Stephen's life, Paul's life. It shows up in Acts, filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's something modeled there in Acts numerous times that then is actually commanded in Ephesians. Turn with me to Ephesians. It's after the book of 1 Corinthians, a couple books back. If you look at Ephesians 1, in verse 13, we, we have this baptism of the Spirit. Different word used there, but he's talking about what happens when you're saved. Verse 13 Chapter 1, Ephesians. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that's the point of salvation, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit coming upon you at the point of salvation when you heard the gospel and believed. Period. Done. In the past. And now flip over to chapter 5. He's now going to give these folks who have experienced something once and for all in the past, he's going to give them a command about what to do in the future. Chapter 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Stop there for a moment. That's a command. And it is an ongoing command. Be filled tomorrow and the next day and at 4 o'clock and that evening, be filled. You spirit people, be filled. Ongoing sense. A command. He expects that there is something dramatic that they have and something yet that they need, which is why He commands it. And if it were to come, look what results. Verse 19, chapter 5, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the gap closed. That's the kind of life that should come from this Spirit baptism. And when you're walking Spirit-filled, it does. What comes out of you, listen to Look at those words and hear in them the joy, the rest and the hope. Addressing one another in song. It does not mean that, we, it, that all of life is an opera or a musical. Thank goodness. It doesn't. You've seen the Veggie Tales where one of the characters is convinced that it is and he sings everything and it's, it's terrible. It doesn't say that we speak to one another in Melody, he's talking about the the content of the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs are what come out of us. So we speak to one another in truth and joy, in worship. We gospel one another. We encourage one another. One another with happy hearts centered on the truth. Making melody then also to the Lord with all of your heart. Please, brother and sister, please look at these verses and and may God the Spirit work on you such that you want this desperately with all of your being. And you are not content to live with the gap reality. But you want it closed up. I want my life and what God has done for me to match. I want this. May He water you with that reality right now so that you make melody to Him with all of your heart. You give thanks always and for everything, whether it is marvelous or tragic. Always in everything. Thank you, God. How can you say that to God? Because you know who He is and you see what He has been and will do for you. He is a good God who has reconciled you to Himself and has nothing in His hand for you but good grace. So you say thank you. Even in the midst of this hardship, I will sorrow, but I will rejoice. Thank you, God, for your work in my life today, in this moment, and in this next moment. Thank you. I see what you are in the name of Christ for me. Bless you. And then with one another, we live submitted and humble and laid down. In reverence for Christ. As the Spirit fills me and shines in my eyes the presence of Christ, I, in reverence to Him and in thankfulness, submit to, serve, and love you. This is life. And it results from what? Not from being baptized in the Spirit. 
only. But from being baptized in the Spirit and then being filled. What does that word mean? We, we can understand it in the contrast. Do not get drunk with wine. That is debauchery. Drunkenness with wine. What he's talking about is something that comes into you and it controls you. As it fills you up. A little sip doesn't control you. But as it fills you up, it runs through your veins, gets pumped by your heart, through your bloodstream, and it runs all through your body and it controls you. It has an effect on you. So not wine, but the Spirit of God. Be filled, be controlled, be influenced, dramatically turned towards and attentive to the Spirit of God. This is commanded. This is possible. This is awesome. And what is unconscionably sad is that most of us don't live it. It is very hard for most of us to say, 19, 20, 21, that is my life. Mm. Awesome. Maybe you've tasted it, but it's not there. Most of us, we get up in the morning, our feet hit the floor, we go to the bathroom, we brush our teeth, and we get on with our day. And you face the common assortment of the issues of life. For some of us at this time, they're, they're tragic. And for some of us at this time, they're, they're wonderful. And next week, they'll change. So pick the issues that you're facing and, and run it through your mind. I got up this morning knowing, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind when I get up in the morning, this morning is, it's Sunday, I'm preaching today. Oh man, what am I going to do? I got to remember all of that and I got to express it and I, people are going to say this and that and what. And I thought, yeah. part of that sermon is about my feet hitting the floor and walking to the bathroom and brush my teeth, which is what I'm doing right now. I'm caught in my sermon again, always, always, always. I'm caught in my sermon. And so what did I do? I said, I said here's what you should do. I said, hold on. Standing in my hallway, just outside of my bedroom, Spirit of God, I'm sorry. Repentance. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the conscious choice that I make to walk in my own power, and I'm also grieved over how I grieve you in my unconscious nature. Because I did not get up this morning and decide, I will not consider God, I will consider myself. I didn't, I didn't, it just happened. And oh God, that's what I am. I didn't have to make a choice, it was made for me, so it seems. I got up bent a certain way. So do you. And God, I'm, I'm grieved over that. Over how I consciously sometimes say, no, I'm going to do this myself. Believing actually I can accomplish something without Him. But I'm also, God, I'm sorry for the fact that I am this way. Help me. If you want to put this in steps, there's step two. Help me. God, help me. Will you change me, Spirit of God, by causing to run into my mind right now the reality of Jesus glorify Him, take from what He has said to you and reveal it to me, Spirit of God. Now, this is in a second, so I'm adding a lot of words in to kind of flesh out a little bit. But help me, Spirit of God, by shining into my, my inside here the truth about who Jesus is, 
good for me, good to me. His securing of me in His hand so that whatever happens today with the sermon or at church or whatever, all falls under a good God and I can say thank you always in everything, God the Father, because you are for me in Christ. And as then, Spirit, I take this word, will you cause it to live for me? Because I want to give him ammunition in the fight. And it is a fight. Because I I get past that moment in my hallway, you know, half an hour later I'm somewhere else. And the same thing's going on. You know that because that's, that's your life too. I leak. This runs out. Standing there in the hallway, I find this for a moment, and a half an hour later, where did it go? It's gone again. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Thank you for the fact that you forgive me and that you still indwell me and want to change me. Please do. Be filled again. Be filled again. And give him ammunition. Because the same stuff that's tied to the filling of the Spirit in Colossians, a letter written at the very same time, so Paul's mind's on the same track, the same stuff in Colossians comes from the Word of God dwelling richly in you. Put them together. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and produces this in us. Give Him ammunition to fight with. It is a fight. And it begins with repentance. And I I have to say, brothers and sisters, part of what drives the second blessing theology idea and part of what drives our inferiority-superiority complexes, though there's sin in that certainly, though there's error in that certainly, part of what drives that is we are bumping into and are ourselves living as Christians walking through life not filled with the Spirit. And therefore, spiritually cold, blunt, dull, empty. The wrong answer is to say, well, you need a second blessing. As one has said, there is no evidence in the Bible whatsoever of a second blessing, but there is plenty of evidence and even a command for a second blessing, a third blessing, a fourth blessing, a fifth blessing, a sixth blessing, the filling of the Spirit in an ongoing sense. So I want to call, challenge, urge, plead. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Repent. Repent of your deliberate choices and repent of grieving the Spirit with your very nature. And ask Him, Spirit of God, have your way in me. I humbly ask you, have your way in me by shining Christ into me to change me. And give Him ammunition to work with. Take the Scriptures. Put them in and ask Him to cause them to richly dwell in you. May He give us grace for that. We have no need of And there is no such thing as a second blessing. But we very much have need of, and there is a tremendous offer in, a repeated filling. Do not be drunk on the things of this world, but be filled with the Spirit, brothers and Christians, brothers and sisters, Christians. Let me pray. Almighty God, would you please help us, your people, to see you and submit to you, to be sorrowed over our turning away that is so consistent and so subtle. Would you, would you speak to us particularly in alluring and enticing way by showing us the beauty of what it would be to be filled with the Spirit. The tremendous opportunity You've provided to us. Oh God, will You press that into us? Press it into my brothers and sisters here. I ask You, Spirit of God, do that. 
that we would not rest content apart from your filling. I ask that you would do that, God. Would you please produce change in us individually and change in us as a corporate body as we walk humble, submitted people to you? Fill us with your spirit. Lord, ultimately, as we look at these verses, we realize that, that the whole thing, that all the grammar is passive. We don't baptize ourselves. We don't fill ourselves. You do. So we are dependent on you for your grace. I thank you that you are a God of grace. I thank you for your desire to bless us, your children. And so I pray that you would do a work. Men and women here, boys and girls here in this place right now, would you do a work in their hearts to call them to repentance and call them to dependence and bless them in amazing, deep, wide, high, long ways. Thank you for your trustworthiness. Thank you for your determination to heal us in all of our brokenness. Father, thank you for your Son and thank you for your Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.